0: Well, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're looking at verses 22 through chapter 22, verse 5. This really serves as the second part of our look at the New Jerusalem. I certainly uh, took some time this week and had uh, several days of distraction and wondered whether we should take a, a week to consider how the Bible might encourage us during the coronavirus pandemic. I know, as I've mentioned already, the response from around the world has, has ranged from one of panic to complete indifference, and we certainly want to avoid both of those extremes. Um, we also need to prepare to show compassion to those who are vulnerable in our own community, um, those who are in need during this time for basic necessities and maybe unable to, to find them. We need to be those who share and give generously. And and we cannot allow this virus to become our all consuming passion, as for many it has. We've almost made an idol out of the subject. Right? It's the only thing we think about. It's the only thing we talk about. It's the only thing we meditate upon. Um a lot more could be said. But this morning I would like to uh, just stay the course in our sermon series because I I truly believe it is entirely relevant to our situation uh, to consider the new Jerusalem, right? What better way to fight the fear of panic uh, than to meditate upon the goal and consummation of our faith? Uh, the, The longer we do this, the more we meditate upon these things, the greater our hope, the greater our confidence and strength to persevere. And so rather than worry about things that are largely outside of our control, we do want to strengthen our faith with a view of our eternal destiny this morning. Uh, We're in the final cycle of Revelation, looking at the reward of the saints. And this description of the New Jerusalem began in verse 9, and it concludes at the end of uh, verse 5 of chapter 22. Uh, But really, in many ways, it's simply an elaboration upon the first eight verses of chapter 21, which was a reflection on the new heavens and new earth. And right, so you have the new heaven and new earth. Uh, it's all speaking about our eternal state. It's all a reflection upon the the benefits and blessings that God brings a co- um, to their consummate end, right, in, in glory. And so, the again, the more we meditate upon these things, the more we think about heaven, the greater our longing will be for it. And that's a good result so let us ask the lord for his help as we read and meditate upon this passage heavenly father we are grateful for your word we're grateful for this book and the encouragement it's already been to us and and in many ways it's been preparing us for seasons of fear for seasons where where there's darkness and chaos in the world we know that you are sovereign we know that you're seated on your throne We've seen uh, visions that have been described here from John of, of, of your sovereign power and authority, orchestrating all things for your glory and for our good. And so, Lord, we know that even this is, is not outside of your will, Lord. And, and whether it is uh, drawing people to repentance, whether, whether it is uh, causing people to consider things that they've never considered before and turn, causing them to turn to your word for answers and hope. Lord, we want to, as your church, be those, uh, be your hands and feet. Be those who would go about and, and share the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, we want to do so with confidence. We want to do so resting in your goodness for us. And so, Lord, help us to have eyes to see this truth and ears to hear it. Fill us with joy as we meditate upon these things. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Read with me Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light they will not they will need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever amen this is god's holy word well this passage encourages believers by focusing on what is and is not included in the future kingdom the glory of heaven includes what is absent as well as what is abundant. As we reflect upon this first aspect of that, I I want us to begin by considering what is absent in the new heaven and new earth, or what is absent in the new Jerusalem that's described here in verses 22 through 27. John's vision portrays the absence of four things. First of all, he begins with stating that there's no temple. I saw no temple. Instead, God and the Lamb are its temple uh, god's presence was always what the physical temple pointed to right? it's his presence it, it wasn't contained in the in the most holy place even though there was a a place there that represented his most immediate presence where his his glory filled the tabernacle beginning there right and there was this there's this symbol and this idea this that it represents his presence but it didn't contain his presence He's omnipresent. He always has been. But the idea here is now coming to fulfillment. Communing with God is the aim of all worship. So the temple simply represents the physical space where the gathered saints met with God. There will not be a need for a designated location to gather because we will always be in communion with God. In eternity. And some make so much of this concept that they minimize the importance of gathering together as a church community, even now. And they, they emphasize the fact that we can commune with God on our own. And for a season, even uh, that's upon us now, that might be a wise thing to do in some situations. All right? But scripture never suggests that that is the ideal. Situation in this life. And this is the, that's the culmination where, where, where we're constantly in worship. We're constantly gathered uh, and, and in God's presence. All right, so, we, so we ought to long to gather for corporate worship now. And at the resurrection on the last day, when we receive our glorified bodies, our faith will become sight. All right, that is when the symbol of the temple will become the reality of God's abiding presence. And so the Garden of Eden, it represented this very same thing. Adam was instructed to work and keep the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And the the same Hebrew words are found with reference to the priests who were told to serve and guard uh, the tabernacle and temple. So you see the exact same words being used to, ta- to describe Adam's responsibility to work and keep the garden and the priest's responsibility to serve and guard uh, the tabernacle and temple as well as to guard God's law, God's word that was being given. So, so you have this, this same idea here. Surely Moses understood this and was making an intentional connection between the garden and the temple. He's calling it a, a place of, of meeting with God. It's where God's presence is, is, is filling the garden so that Adam and Eve could walk in the midst of the garden, talking with God, communing with him, wherever they went in the garden. And so the same idea was, was then allowed for them with the temple. right? Where What they had lost in paradise because of sin, they then, uh, they then had, a, had partial fulfillment in the, the presence of the temple in the tabernacle, where they could still gather together and, and commune with God, but now it was mediated. Now it had to come through a priest. Right? There were sacrifices that had to be offered. There, were, there was service that was necessary and required in order for them to commune with God. It wasn't so free as it was in the garden. And what we see here now is the, the fulfillment of that. It's coming back full circle. Or so that once again, we can enter into God's presence unmediated, right? His, his unmitigated presence. So, when what Adam lost in the garden was, was partially restored in the temple, and it will be finally and fully recovered in glory. In addition to there being no temple, there's no light And that's described in verses 23 and 24. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60 verse 19 that prophesies of a time when the light of the sun and moon is replaced by the Lord's everlasting light. And so it's the absence of of these luminaries in the sky because God himself provides the light and he is the everlasting light. Light is provided by God's glory so that all the nations are able to walk by that light. Uh, this fulfills the prophecy also of Isaiah 60, verses 3 and 5. This this passage is a reflection. You can turn to uh, that parallel passage of Isaiah 60 later today and meditate upon that tr- chapter too, because it's being fulfilled here, which it anticipates the, the nations bringing their wealth into Jerusalem. So Revelation adds the idea of the kings and nations bringing their glory into Jerusalem. It... it it highlights not an not a earthly riches that they're bringing, but an, an apprehension of the gospel. They're bringing themselves as worshipers, reflecting the glory of God back to him. Right, so they are themselves from every tribe, language, and nation now offering themselves to God. It's, it's a recognition of his universal apprehension in the New Jerusalem. So this contrasts the earthly glory that, that was brought into Babylon as we consider the, the, kind of the false glory of the earthly riches and wealth that, that Babylon possessed and spread and traded throughout the world. Right, this is in contrast here. Uh, those who have been redeemed from the nations will now bring with them their, their cultural identity that has been purified, all their unique diversity without any sense of superiority will serve to magnify the God we worship for all eternity. I said that there is diversity in eternity. There's still a recognition that God has brought all of these nations together as one people in heaven. And so the infinite facets of grace will be on display forever in his saints. And so God's glory is is placed on display it says in this passage by the the lamb who is the lamp. Right the lamb's deity here is emphasized. Again we must keep the symbolic nature of this apocalyptic book in mind. Uh this isn't this isn't really about how we're going to see and move about in eternity. It's not like well how are we going to walk? Is it just going to be pitch black? Oh, no, there's going to be light by God. That's, that's not what is being emphasized here. The emphasis is, is upon the, the fact that, in, that that God's glory will be on display as the light of the lamp, which is Christ, shines throughout the city, which is his bride. It's the, it's the glory of glo- God being reflected in the bride of Christ throughout eternity it's a it's a precious image for us to hold on to and then on the flip side even though there's there's no light in that since there's no night either if you're taking this literal you're you're a mess because you don't understand what's going on now right there's no light there's no night what is there no, it, it's talking here in verses 25 and 26. It's a reference to the fact that the gates would always remain open. There would never be any nighttime where they felt they needed to close it and protect themselves from invasion. There would be no, no sense of fear, no sense of harm coming in from outside, no virus that would infiltrate. All right, they will never fear invasion from foreign armies in nighttime raids. And so access to the light of God's presence would never be interrupted. It would never even be threatened. The gates would always be open. The nations will enter through the gates with their glory and honor in verse 26. Again, we've, we've talked about that. It's a reference not to physical riches since those will be burned up, but it's all that's been redeemed by God. All that's been redeemed in every culture and been purified and cleansed that it might then glorify God forever. That will be reflected in the new heaven and new earth. And then lastly, there's the absence of sin, defined in verse 27. All right, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So the final negative term is this idea of, of sin, which is forbidden. There's, not, there's to be nothing unclean, no detestable or false people. Entering into the New Jerusalem, those who remain in their sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anything that might hinder access to God and worship of him is forbidden from entrance and so this is this also warns those who have grown comfortable with sin in this present life right, those who who um, who have been content with unclean things and detestable things. Right? Nothing unclean or detestable will enter in, et, into eternity, so why would we invest our time in such worthless pursuits? And these questions ought to serve as a, a wake-up call to compromised Christians. It should lead them to repentance, that they might better reflect the glory of their bridegroom, even now, in the present. Only those whose names are, are written in the Lamb's book of life, those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, will enter into the new Jerusalem. These are, are those who have turned away from their sin and repentance and by the grace of God desire the holiness without which they cannot see God. Right? They, they live for that holiness. This becomes your vision and your goal. This becomes your motivation. Because of your gratitude for what Christ has done. Because he has shed his blood. Because he's the lamb who was slain. We long to follow after him with all of our being. Only those whose names are in the lamb's book of life. Those redeemed by the blood of of the lamb will enter into the new Jerusalem. And so this is the glorious picture of our future inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1 4. And, and yet, how, how often is our understanding of that vision clouded over right, by suffering and confusion? I came across uh, an illustration that a friend uh, posted this week, and it's, it's from Johnny Gibson. Johnny Gibson tells of how his, his wife delivered their second child and he brought his son, his young son, to the hospital to hold his baby sister, but she didn't move or make a sound because she had been born, uh, she was stillborn. And so Johnny wrestled with how to explain everything to his son, All right? He wanted, to, he wanted him to know that God is always good. And yet in moments like this, it was hard for anyone to see that goodness, let alone his young son. So he taught, him to, to, he taught, taught his son to think about it like the moon. Right, the moon is always round, even though much of the time we can only see a partial form of it, whether it's an, uh, a, a misshapen circle or even a crescent. There are various phases of the moon. And yet we know that the moon itself is always round. It remains round even when you can't see the circle completely, the sphere completely. And so that, that helped him, right? As, as his, his child could, could go outside and look up at the moon and, and whatever phase it was in, he could know that it was always round, even in the, the darkest of times. You need to remember that God is always good, even when you can only see a sliver of that goodness. He is always good. And so this past week might have stirred up uh, such a fear that your recognition of God's goodness has become clouded. Right, maybe, maybe the news of panic and dread has, has even given your children nightmares. All of us need to be reminded that God is always good. Good. And he is always working all things for his glory and our good, even when we can't understand how. God is always moving us toward the end for which we were created. And so we're reminded from this passage that in eternity, all is the temple. All is the light of God's glory. The darkness of night flees away and sin finds no entrance. And so in heaven, all the covenant signs and symbols become reality. We won't need to gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper because we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb for all eternity. In eternity, there will be no need for the means of grace because it will be unnecessary. All the benefits will already be ours in abundance the moment we enter. And so that's the second aspect we look at in verses 1 through 5. And we'll be a little bit quicker with this section, but what is abundant in chapter 22, one through five? After considering four things that are absent in glory, this vision provides a a picture of three things that are abundant. First of all, there's the river of life. It's, it's a river that is as bright as crystal, representing its pure quality. The river will forever serve as a reminder to us of God's cleansing power shown to us in the forgiveness of our sins. We'll never need to go out and, and, and hoard up on, on antibiotics, right? We're never gonna run out of soap. We're gonna have access to the river of life for all eternity. In fact, we're not really gonna need it once we enter. Right But it's a reminder of God's goodness, his cleansing power in our lives, right and it will flow from God's throne through the middle of the street of the city and it's it's a metaphor of God's presence throughout the New Jerusalem, or maybe even more likely it represents the gift of eternal life that will continue to uh, to worship throughout eternity, right the The gift of eternal life will worship God for giving us that gift. So you have the abundance of the river of life, access to God's presence. You have the tree of life in verse 2 described here, the tree of life that, that now grows on both sides of the river, just as Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel forty seven twelve. It It yields 12 kinds of fruit each month, and its leaves heal the nation's Now, how does that make sense? We've just talked about the fact that this is a place of no more pain and death and suffering. We've read that in verse 4 of chapter 21, right? That's all taken away. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for these former things have passed away. So why is there a need for uh, for, uh, a tree that provides leaves for healing? Well, again, we shouldn't take the description of these leaves literally. God is not going to be continually wiping away tears in heaven, right? uh, nor will there be a need for ongoing healing. But, but these concepts are fully supplied upon our entrance in to the New Jerusalem. And so the presence of the tree of life is, is God's promise that there will not be any pandemics in heaven. Nor will there be mass hysteria or panic-stricken hoarding or health official recommendations for social distancing. None of that will exist in the New Jerusalem. Amen, right? All of the things that we presently hate about our situation will be gone. They'll be removed. And so this brings the Bible full circle back to Eden, right? This Eden is, is far superior, however, Right in, in this future Eden, we will belong to a kingdom that can never be taken away or lost. We're not on probation there, like Adam was. Uh, the tree of life will never be guarded from feeding the inhabitants of the new heaven and new earth. We'll always have access. Meredith Klein I think plausibly argued that, that God's instruction to Adam included the responsibility to extend the boundaries of Eden. It, it, the implication is that he, as he cultivated the ground and it multiplied in an abundance of fruit, that, that Eden would have filled the world eventually had Adam obeyed. Um, and so the presence of God would have extended throughout the world too. But what we see is, is where Adam failed Christ succeeded. Christ has already accomplished the work and he will bring it to completion upon his return. In fact, in Christ, we gain more, far more than what Adam lost. Adam was innocent and under the probation of perfect obedience, but by faith, believers possess the righteousness of Christ, which can never be taken away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so it leads us to our last, our last image of abundance, which is the throne of God and the Lamb. Nothing is accursed. Nothing that might contribute to the suffering of any kind will be allowed to enter. Nothing will exist that might hinder our worship of God on his throne. And so servants will see his face, will, will worship him in purity, having been transformed into his likeness at the resurrection. His name will be on our foreheads. We'll enjoy intimate fellowship. Uh, this was represented even by the Old Testament priests who had who had God's name written on their on, on their foreheads. They they were perfectly to reflect, or they were they were imperfect reflections of God's character, which now will be perfected in heaven and and even that has begun now, according to second Corinthians three eighteen so once again, as the the previous section concluded at verse twenty five of chapter one, where the gates would never be shut by day, there would be no night, we have a, a reminder again that night will be no more in verse five. God is their light, and nothing will be able to diminish it, nothing will hinder the saints access to god's glory, so finally. The saints will reign forever. Right, throughout eternity, those who have been united to Christ in this present life will share in his offices so that as, as prophets, we proclaim God's salvation. As priests, we will worship unhindered in the unmitigated presence of God. And as kings, we'll enjoy the rule and reign that Christ accomplished when he conquered all his and our enemies. And so we'll close with this. Every, every sign and symbol that we receive now by faith will become reality in the new Jerusalem. God's life-giving presence will be the possession of the saints in abundance. And I like how Joel Beakey ties this together. He says, the only place in the Bible where Jesus Christ used the word paradise is when he was on the cross. He said to the dying thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The only way to the paradise of heaven is through Christ's death. And at Calvary, God's son in human flesh in the place of sinners allowed that sword of justice and God's anger against sin to fall on him. So that now for all who come through him, the crucified Savior is the way into God's paradise. It's our access to the throne of grace. It's why we gather together. It's why we are united to him and one another. It's all because of Christ's sacrifice. And so, if you do not know him, turn to him. Repent and believe and put your trust in him so that the glory that we've described in this passage might be yours in abundance. May our meditation upon these truths fill us with great hope and anticipation of Christ's return. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this encouraging passage these encouraging reminders that we can be filled with faith in the midst of fear. When others are in panic and disarray and chaos, Lord, we can trust in you and we can bring the hope of the gospel into the, those places of darkness. We can be a light on a hill. Not because we ourselves possess this, this uh, light in our in our old man, but because of your spirit that you've given us, because of what Christ has done, because of the benefits of our salvation, and because you are using us as your hands and feet and as your people to spread that light, Lord, we look forward to the day where there will be no darkness at all, where there be no night, no shadows. no need to close the gates and and protect ourselves from the enemy. All of it will be removed. May that, that hope be ours even now, that we would trust with confidence in all that Christ has purchased for us. And may we rest in him as we sing in response, Lord, beholding your goodness to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.